Over the last couple of episodes, we've talked about what I call the two-piece jigsaw. The fact that you really only need to do two things to live your life to the full. That you need to turn up to the here and now, and you need to know why you have turned up to the here and now. In our last episode, last week, I talked about proper meditation. And meditation is exceedingly important because until you meditate and until you experience the reality of you through proper meditation, you will not be in a position to say to yourself, I'm going to turn up to the here and now. In other words, as we have previously said, experience is everything. I and you, you and I both, need to experience what it is like to be present so that having experienced what it is like to be present, we can turn that on like a tap, and I mean that, when we need it. You see, in last week's episode, we talked about meditation, we talked about how to meditate, and we talked a little about what you will experience when you meditate. A lot of people experience some form of altered state of mind when they meditate. Some people for the first time in their lives experience the reality of what they are. In other words, the feeling of energy flowing through their body. Some people are just calm and relaxed and present and pleasant during a meditation. And I use the word just, and I shouldn't have used the word just. That is one of the first things that we experience when we meditate properly. We experience what many of my clients will immediately recognize as peace of mind. How different is that? How different is that from the normal state of the normal mind? People tell me and have been telling me over the last 28 years that I've been doing this, that they are worried, that they are always finding that their minds are racing ahead of them, thinking about things that haven't happened yet. And that generally translates into worry. Will what I want to happen, happen? Or will what I don't want to happen, happen? Well, that leads into anxiety. It leads into anger on some occasions. It leads into despondency. It leads all the way down into stress. And ultimately, if you're not very careful, it will lead you all the way down into depression. A lot of people have the idea that depression is some kind of illness. No, depression, like many of the things that affect the normal person, are as a result of their inability or their lack of choice in taking control of their own state of mind or their inability to control the thoughts that race ahead with them. So people are frustrated. People are frustrated when what they want to happen hasn't happened yet. I've had a lot of conversations with clients and online program owners over the years in relation to frustration. And I keep telling them that a perfect moment will not happen until the perfect moment. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a perfect moment. It's kind of obvious when you think about it, really, isn't it? And as you know from previous conversations, when I refer to a perfect moment, I refer to a psychological snapshot that you have chosen to give yourself of the experience of how it will feel when you encounter some of life's wonderful 
moments. In other words, I always ask people, what do you want your life to be full of? And what would you like less of or none of in your life? Now, people will immediately say to me, I don't want stress in my life. And just like the tap that I talked about a minute ago that you can turn on, you can turn off the stress tap like that. Meditation does exactly the opposite to mind and body as that to which stress does to the mind and body. Stress, and there is a load of research in relation to this, over the last 40 years at this stage, stress increases the heart rate, it increases blood pressure, it increases the production of LDL, fatty cholesterol, it suppresses the immune system, and it suppresses the digestive system. When we were hunter-gatherers, something that I referred to a couple of weeks ago, there were good reasons why stress would do all those things to us, because in effect, it was doing all those things for us, because it enabled us to do just what we needed to do in that moment, with highly oxygenated blood pumping through our veins to the muscles that we most needed to escape from a life-threatening situation. So whereas stress saved our lives when we were hunter-gatherers. Now in the 21st century, as a result of the drip, drip, drip of everyday stress, stress is killing people. I've already alluded to this in relation to how there's a direct correlated link between stress and coronary heart disease and premature death. There is a load of recent research in relation to a very similar link between stress and cancer, most cancers. Most cancers are lifestyle. And, you know, the one thing that will guide what your lifestyle looks and feels like is what's going on in your own head. And I mean that from the perspective of something else that I mentioned last week, healthy mind, healthy body. It isn't the other way around. If you get your mind straight, your mind will in tuning in to the energy in your body and allowing you feel and listen to your body, you'll begin to understand what you need to do and what you don't need to do in relation to, for example, what you eat, what you drink and what exercise you need to take. Actually, I shouldn't need to say that at all, because over the last couple of weeks, I've said that when you are in the zone or when you are in what I refer to, quoting the University of Chicago, when you are in flow, you will always do just what you need to do moment to moment. So that obviously goes for your physical health as well as the things that you need to do to achieve your life's great ambitions or goals. Now, I've touched on the word flow, and I've touched on it a number of times over the last couple of weeks. So in this episode, I want to explore what I mean by flow, what it actually means, what it feels like. But before we go there, I have a question for you. And it's a very important question because the answer to this question will determine, I suppose, where you are in relation to your life or the lack of it at the moment and where you are in relation to your ability or inability to experience flow. How enthusiastic are you about your life right now? Or I'll make it simpler. How enthusiastic do you feel right now? That's a broader question, but in many respects, it is a narrower question because I've asked you how you feel now. We need to be enthusiastic about our life. Otherwise, what's the point in living it? 
I can put it another way. You need to be enjoying yourself. Otherwise, why have you got out of bed this morning? You need to be immersed in what you're doing, enjoying what you're doing, getting a kick out of what you're doing. Last week, we talked about how meditation doesn't follow a particular tradition or at least the meditation I talk about, doesn't follow a particular tradition that you must do this, that, and the other. Everything we talked about was about turning you on because you are unique. So how turned on are you now? How motivated are you right now? I had an interesting conversation with a client many, many years ago, one of the corporate clients to which I referred last week. And I got this phone call early on a Tuesday morning. It was the Tuesday morning after a long bank holiday weekend. And the lady in question said to me, I am taking my leadership team away for two days to talk strategy and talk plans for the future. And one of the key challenges that I have is that my leadership team is not motivated. She said, I'm having great difficulty motivating my leadership team. I said, right. I said, how motivated are you right now? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, when you woke up this morning, were you motivated to leap out of bed and say to yourself, right, we're going to spend two days together, me and the leadership team, and we're going to create all kinds of new directions for this organization. And she said, don't be ridiculous. I'm not motivated at all. And I said to her, well, then how would you expect to motivate anybody else? And you see, this goes for parents as well, because most parents who were never taught the importance of what you need to do from a parenting point of view to be present and to focused so that you are, quote unquote, and it's a phrase that is used very often by normal crazy people, but they don't know what they're talking about, so that you are really there for your children. What does really there for your children actually mean? It means that I'm present. It means that I'm focused. It means that I'm with them. It means that my mind isn't racing ahead of me. It means that I'm not thinking about the future. It means that I'm not worried about the future. It means that I am doing what I need to do to enjoy the present. And in me being enthusiastic about the present moment, I transmit my enthusiasm and my enjoyment to those around me. And that is so important from the perspective of parenting, particularly if you have young children. We've talked before about the importance of the third year of all our lives. And obviously, if you have young children, we're talking about the third year of your children's lives right now. This is the year in which we learn what we think we know about ourselves and what we think we know about how the world works. And what we learn during the third year of our lives from most normal crazy parents is who I'm not and how the world doesn't actually work. We we learn about our perceived inadequacies. We learn that we're children and we should know our place. We learn that you have to educate yourself and get a good job to get on in life. It's all rubbish. We learn that you have to try hard to be a success. You have to work hard to be a success. As we have discussed in a couple of recent episodes, what will stop you being a success is trying too hard. The one thing that will stop you getting what you want out of life, anything that you want out of life, is trying too hard. It's like trying to have fun. 
I recollect a conversation that I had with a leadership team in a corporate client about five or six years ago, and they were talking about some of the things that they needed to do going forward after I had left to ensure that the team gelled together as a team. And one of the suggestions that a couple of people had was that they would have organized away days where they could have fun. Uh, I, I, I waited for a while to see if somebody on the leadership team would actually state the bleeding obvious, but nobody did. So eventually I had to say, there's no such thing as organized fun. Fun is a spontaneous thing. Fun, like flow, just happens. If you try too hard to have fun, you're going to fall on your face. I recollect. And this is not a digression, by the way. I recollect many years ago, myself, my wife and our two daughters were invited up to a friend's house about 600 metres up from where I'm sitting at the moment on a winter evening for dinner and a bit of fun. We would generally have a bit of fun anyway, but it wasn't planned fun. Anyway, on our way up, everything went dark around us. The lights in the houses around us went dark. We were on a road with no streetlights, so we didn't realise that, in fact, what had happened was that there was a major power cut in the area. When we arrived at their house, which was in total darkness, save for a one singular flickering candle, we were greeted at the door and they said, come on in anyway. The dinner was half cooked. We can finish it off on our gas stove. We can light a log fire. We'll put a load of candles around the place. And we can't do any of the things that we had planned doing. Let's just have dinner and see where it goes. It was the best fun we ever had. We never, and uh, we laugh an awful lot around here, we never laughed so much in our lives. It was completely spontaneous and Actually, the conversations and the madcap conversations that we had that night were thrust upon us because there was nothing else to do. We had to make the best of what others might consider to be a bad lot. Now, that's a really important point that I'm going to come back to in a couple of minutes. About six months later, we were invited up again. And what our host tried to do was recreate what had happened that evening. And you know exactly what I'm going to say. In fact, I don't even need to say it. It fell flat on its face. There's no such thing as planned fun. There's no such thing as success that comes from trying. Success just happens when you stop trying and start doing. And that is why, again, We've talked about the two-piece jigsaw two weeks ago and the importance of meditation a week ago. You need to do what you need to do, and that's enough. You don't need to do anything else, and you certainly don't need to do what you don't need to do. Again, I had a conversation with a leadership team a number of years ago, and I asked them during the course of a three-day session that we had together to get a couple of flip charts and write down all the things that they didn't need to do. After about half an hour of deliberation, we all got together. They talked about it. They came up with a single flip chart with all the items on it. And I said to them, if you stop doing all of those things, how much more time would you have on your hands to do the things that you need to do? 
And they came to the conclusion that if they stopped doing the things that they didn't need to do, they'd have two extra days available to them per week. Imagine what you could do with two extra days. Imagine somebody saying to you, there's two extra days to do whatever you want to do with them. Now, you could say to yourself, well, I will have a four-day weekend and a three-day week, and we'll still get everything we need to do done. Or we could have a three-day weekend and a four-day week. And imagine what that would do for us and for the organization and for the fabled bottom line. Now, I've talked about a number of leadership teams in the course of this podcast today. The lady who was not motivated and wondering why she couldn't motivate her leadership team. The leadership team who thought they could plan fun. And the leadership team who five years later were still doing all of the things that were on that flip chart that day that they knew they shouldn't be doing. Why do you think I stopped doing corporate work four or five years ago? I get a kick out of talking to people on my Zoom sessions on a Wednesday night, my program owner Zoom sessions, where real people are actually achieving real things as a result of being real. That's all we need to do. We need to be real. We need to be who we really are. We need to be present. We need to be in the zone. We need to be in flow. I mentioned last week that I got an email from an online program owner who said that he was in flow most of the time every day. In other words, what that actually means and what I want to talk about here, what that actually means is that he's just doing what he needs to do and immediately experiencing the impact of his correct actions. It means that he's not doing what he doesn't need to do with knock-on effects such as, for example, that his son, who was, uh, I suppose, a little bit backward in coming forward, a little shy, a little reserved, when I met him first, his son has blossomed, his son is blooming. And he said to me in that short email that both his children were having a ball at school and outside school and excelling themselves. He talked about how a business idea that his thinking mind gave him 20 reasons not to do was actually blossoming as well at this moment in time. He said, I'm in flow most of the time. He said, I knew after I met you first because I experienced it through meditation. He said, I knew I could experience flow, but I thought you could only experience flow by hitting it in spots. He said, now I'm experiencing flow most of the time every day. He said, now I know what you're talking about. And now I know what you mean by just doing what you need to do. And now I also know what you mean by success falling into your lap, or at least feeling that it has fallen into your lap as a result of what you've done. Success just falling into your lap as a result of not trying. So what is flow? Flow is a state of mind. Flow is a state of mind where you are completely immersed in what you are doing right now. Flow is a state of mind that when you are immersed in what you're doing right now, you will immediately understand whether what you're doing right now is the right thing or the wrong thing, and you'll stop doing the wrong thing. Flow is a state of mind when time flies, or time stands still. 
we talked about frustration and annoyance and stress being like beauty in the mind of the beholder. Time is a very personal experience as well. For some clock watchers in large organizations, time almost stands still as they watch the clock slowly click down to the end of their working day. For others who are immersed in what they're doing, time flies because they're having fun. But time can slow down when we're having fun too. Think about the experiences you have had when on holidays. Say you go on a fortnight's holidays. And at the end of the fortnight's holidays, you say, oh, is that? It went so quickly. And yet, during that holiday, on some of the days, the long, hot summer days, they were long, hot summer days that seemed to go on forever where time stood still. Time is a personal thing. Time is created or your impression of time is created as a result of the state of mind in which you find yourself. Flow means that I am so totally immersed in what I'm doing that I forget myself. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that I forget who I thought I was. It means that I forget to question myself. I forget to doubt myself. I forget to second guess myself. All of the things we shouldn't be doing at all, because all of those things that I just mentioned are functions of the thinking mind, the part of our mind that enables us, and clearly that's the wrong word, do the things that were on the list, that if I stopped doing them, I'd have two extra days a week. The thinking mind will always get in your way. Now, let's go back to the question that I asked a few minutes ago in relation to whether you're enthusiastic right now, whether you're feeling enthusiastic right now, whether you are enjoying yourself right now, whether you're motivated right now. People will often say to me, but hold on, I don't like my job, or I don't like my boss, or my boss is a bully, and there's a lot of that about. Or I don't like the relationship in which I find myself. Or how can I enjoy myself if I am physically unwell? Well, as we said already, you can probably or most likely, unless you're seriously ill, address that by addressing what's going on between your own two ears. So let's set that one aside for the moment. And by the way, I do include some serious illnesses in that. Cancer, for example, rheumatoid arthritis, digestive problems. We'll come back to that another time. But I've mentioned a couple of things there that are not the same as the common cold. What I'm actually saying in relation to, for example, something like irritable bowel syndrome is that if you get your head straight, you'll get your bowels straight. And just let's digress into that for just a moment. That obviously makes scientific sense because as I said earlier on, stress suppresses the digestive system. As I said earlier on, meditation boosts the digestive system. Maybe I didn't say that, actually. I talked about what stress does to the body, but I didn't continue on by saying that meditation reduces the heart rate. Meditation can substantially reduce blood pressure. It reduces blood pressure anyway, but it can do that substantially. 
Meditation undoes the buildup of LDL fatty cholesterol in the cardiovascular system. It doesn't just stop the production of bad cholesterol, it undoes the buildup that was already there as a result of your not managing your state of mind. Meditation boosts the immune system and the point that I was just making a minute ago, meditation boosts the digestive system. A medical practitioner who has her or his head screwed on, if you go to them and you talk about irritable bowel syndrome or even Crohn's disease, the first thing they will prescribe to you is meditation. I was going to say you heard that first here, but if you did, isn't that an awful thing? Terrible thing indeed. But let's go back to the point I was making a minute ago. What if I don't like my work? What if I don't like the person that I'm working for? What if I am being abused by the person with whom I'm in a relationship? Am I suggesting to you that you need to pretend to be enthusiastic or you need to jolly yourself into being motivated or you just use meditation to turn yourself on so that you, and I used this phrase a few minutes ago and I said I would come back to it, so that you make the best of a bad lot? That's not what I'm suggesting at all. But let's consider those people who, to the casual observer, would be working in situations where it was a bad lot indeed. The initial flow research in the early and mid-1980s carried out by Mihaly Chitset Mihaly and the University of Chicago was done on workers on the production line in the auto industry in Detroit. It was done with people who are doing the most mundane of jobs. And as a result of this research, it was discovered that most of the people on the production line weren't even bothering tr to try to make the best of a bad lot, why bother? But some of the people on the production line doing exactly the same job were experiencing flow, experiencing joy in their lives, enjoying themselves, coming into work enthused, motivated. What was the difference? What was going on between their own two ears was the difference. Now, what that means is that if you don't like your job, for example, let's just pick on that for a moment, you can do one of two things. You can either change your job or change your mind, which is easier, by the way. The second one is far easier because all you have to do is meditate a little and begin to realize that what is going on around you isn't what you think is going on around you. What's going on around you goes through the machine that the brain uses for cognitive appraisal. I talked about cognitive appraisal very briefly two weeks ago. Cognitive appraisal is a process whereby what my five senses experience are taken into my brain and my brain uses the rubbish that it learned when I was three years old to try to figure out what is going on. That's what cognitive appraisal actually is. That's how we make sense of the reality that is around us. And obviously, in using stuff that we learned when we were three or four years old, we completely miss the mark. We're so wide of the mark that we get to the point where we do say to ourselves, I don't like my job or I hate my boss or my boss is a bully. I've worked with a lot of people who have worked for bullies and they have sorted the bully out. You know what I'm going to say next, don't you? Without trying.
without pushing against the bully. Effectively, what they've done, and I know this sounds simplistic, but this describes it perfectly. They've ignored the bully, and the bully goes away. Or let me put it in the kind of terms that I used last week and the week before when I talked about you being energy and the universe being energy. They stopped allowing the bully steal their energy. Now, it isn't that they stopped giving the bully their energy. The energy was being stolen from them by the bully's behavior. Because a bully goes looking for other people's energy because the bully thinks as a result of their own cognitive appraisal process, that they don't have enough energy themselves. But that's a whole other day's work. The key thing I want to talk about here is you making up your mind whether to be in flow or not. It is a choice that you actually make. Now, you can't say to yourself, oh, right, I'm going to be in flow now. Because until you experience flow, you don't know what you're talking about, so you can't make that decision. And we're back to the basics, aren't we? We're back to you needing to meditate every day so that sooner rather than later, you experience a settled mind, a clear mind, a present mind, a mind that is free from noise, a mind that is free from the thoughts that run away with you and a mind that enables your body talk to you so that you experience what it's like to be, to be there, to be sitting in the chair, to be feeling what you're feeling, and nothing else, adding nothing else, just being. Because when we begin to experience being, we begin to experience the nature of our being. And that enables us not just flow during meditation. What's the point in that? It enables us flow moment to moment. As my friend said, and I've quoted a couple of times, most of the time, every day. That's a game changer. It's a life changer. Because once I begin to flow, once I am present, once I know what's going on, I can do just what I need to do and no more to move me in the direction that I would love my life to go whilst experiencing the perfect moment of actually being alive right now. When you experience being alive right now, you'll realize it's a perfect moment. That's, by the way, why people talk about doing exercises in gratitude. I don't like the word gratitude. It's kind of, oh, I'm thankful for what I have. I much prefer the word appreciation. I appreciate the moment. I appreciate what's going on in the moment. I appreciate what I am. I appreciate who I am. And once you get to that, through feeling how it feels to be present, You've started off on an adventure that will take you to places that your old way of thinking and the cognitive appraisal machine could never even begin to imagine. So the message, again, is pretty clear. You need to look after what's going on between your own two ears. You need to start doing that by meditating regularly, every day, every morning, or most mornings, as we said last week. You need to meditate most mornings for the rest of your life, not because you'll slip backwards. 
you don't slip backwards because you've already restructured your brain when you start meditating, but because there's so much more to discover about you, about life, and the possibilities of this great adventure. But you need to do more than meditate. And on that note, I'll sign off for this particular episode because we'll talk about that more next week. <laughs>